2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpas at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We ask that you would write the truths of it on human hearts, all who hear, all who hear today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last words are important words, vital words, and these are the last words of Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, at least by way of letter. That's the context of this epistle. As we've read in verse 6, he knows he's in God's departure lounge, awaiting a journey from this world to the next. Literally, the verses after that read like this, the good fight, I fought it. The race, I finished it. The faith, I've kept it. Paul has communicated so much in these opening chapters. Chapter and verses are things that have been added later, but in the content before our passage here, he's already communicated so, so much. The need to guard the deposit of the gospel entrusted to him. He's taught about and written about the need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Unlike in 1 Timothy, when everything was booming, uh, Timothy had to write to Paul and ask, what do I look for in elders? What do I look for in deacons? And that's really the message of 1 Timothy, a lot of it anyway. Now people are deserting both Timothy and Paul because persecution has really started. And there's the need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. In modern day words, it would be, suck it up, Timothy, stay at your post. Until God tells you to go elsewhere, you've been given a charge, a solemn charge, stay at your post, no matter how hard it is. You answer to men, you don't answer to God. You're a workman, and be that workman unashamed. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. We read that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. These are stressful times, and stressful times are coming. And that's the result of character issues. You read of that in chapter 3. And then Paul 
relates the Word of God to Timothy and says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is God-breathed. That's the nature of Scripture. It's unlike any other human writing. It is the very Word of God. And it equips you for everything you'll face. In other words, I'm leaving. I'm about to depart. You don't need Brother Big Shot or Sister Satellite. You just need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. And when you've got the Word of God, you've got all you need for ministry. It equips you, and it fully equips you for every good work, everything you'll face. And then the solemn charge of chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom. There couldn't be anything more solemn than that. God is watching you. Christ is watching you. And He will judge the living and the dead. And He's coming with all the power of His kingdom. And your mandate is preach the word. Do it in season, do it out of season. You think of strawberries, they are either in season or out of season. In other words, at all times, when it's good and everything looks good and everybody's responding by applause and patting you on the back, preach the word. And when people are leaving you and forsaking you and don't want to listen to you, preach the word. That's your mandate, stay at your post. And then in verse 9, Paul writes with some personal instructions. Do your best to come to me soon. Do your best. In other words, make every effort. Put it at the top of the list in terms of priority. It's a phrase we've already encountered in the epistle. Do your best, 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, to show yourself an approved worker of God. Implied in these words is this. I could really do with seeing you now. Do your best to come. I need your friendship. Those words are not stated, but it's implied by the words that are written here. Paul's an apostle, yet very much a man. The best of men are men at best. And Paul certainly was a man, a real person with real feel feelings. In fact, earlier in this uh, epistle, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 2, he called Timothy, my beloved child. Timothy and Paul had a very strong mentoring relationship, and their friendship was of deep, deep worth to both Paul and to Timothy. Isn't that interesting? Paul's an apostle, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and yet he reveals his heart, I, I need to see you, do your best to come. I think back to the book of Genesis of Adam, and he was created in the image and likeness of God. He had a unique relationship with God, he was the only man at that time. And he had a perfect relationship with the true God. And he had a perfect environment. And yet, God said, it's not good that he's alone. Man was created for friendship. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not meant to ever walk this road, this life, this Christian life alone. When you come to Christ, it's as if the promise is you'll never walk alone. You'll have others with you standing. In fact, when we think about our own lives in the 21st century, when someone is being punished as a criminal, the worst form of punishment is something called 
solitary confinement. Oh yeah, there's the death penalty. But outside of that, the worst kind of punishment, the worst kind of all is solitary confinement with no human comfort, with no human connection, with no human conversation. Timothy, do your best. Get here as fast as you can. Come soon. Look in verse 10. For Demas, in love with this present world or present age, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas. Demas. Well, formerly he was a co-worker with Paul. And he became enamored with the attractions of this world, this age. In Philemon, verse 24, he's referred to as a fellow worker. But now he's gone. Do you know people like this? People that were walking with you, talking the talk, singing the songs, looking like the real deal, but then got enamored with the world, with the Las Vegas or the Hollywood uh, of their era. Scripture calls sin the passing pleasures of sin, Vegas being sin city, of course. At uh, seminary, I was drilled by an elderly minister, watch out for the three G's. Girls, gold, and glory. Watch out for women. Watch out for them that they might seduce you or you get connected when you shouldn't be. Gold, which is the desire for money, and glory to take credit for what God does when he uses you. In fact, we've got a little bit of time. First John chapter 2, let's go there. It's familiar. We were there just recently. First John chapter 2. Verse 15, the Apostle John writes this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Here it's not talking about people, but the world system with its attractions. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Demas, having loved this present world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's a good reminder for us. Let's go back. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Why do people sin? Because they want to. There's pleasure in sin. But it's a passing pleasure. Now, we're not told the specifics of Demas' sin, just that at a heart level, he loved this present age. Let me say this, if you and I, if you don't live for the world to come, you will live for this world now. Christian, your best life is not now. Unbeliever, unless you repent, this will be your best life you'll ever have. This is as good as it gets, but it doesn't have to be that way. God, in his love for the world, the people of this world, sent his son into the world, born of a virgin, living a flawless and perfect holy life, fulfilling all the demands of God, went to a cruel, rugged, brutal cross and died in the place of sinners. And on the third day after his death 
and then his burial, he rose again from the dead and is now at the place of all authority in this universe so that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord receives forgiveness of sins as we repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done. God forgives us and grants us eternal life. That is the gospel. Let's never, ever forget it or get bored with it. Continuing on in verse 9, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Why exactly? We're not told. And we shouldn't expect to find any more information than what we're told here. And we should not speculate as to why. Certainly Paul does not write disparagingly of these two individuals, Crescens and Titus. Titus, of course, is the Titus that is uh, the Titus of the epistle of Paul to Titus. We know a great deal more about him than of Crescens because of that. But they've gone. Crescens has gone. Titus has also gone. I don't sense any bitterness in Paul's heart as he writes this. He doesn't just, as they on their way out, smack them with this letter and say, yeah, they're gone. Rah! He doesn't do that. An elder, elderly minister once gave me this advice. If you've been around me, you might hear me say it. I've never forgotten it. He said, love people deeply, but hold on to them lightly. Ultimately, they don't belong to you. As many times I've formed friendships with, with people and then one Sunday or a Tuesday they give me a call or I see them and say, this is the last time you see me, I'm moving somewhere else. And I think, well, how long have you known that? And they were just scared to tell me. And rather than reacting and do the thing, I just said, ah, and on the way out, I said, well, I'm really, really sorry. And uh, when they're out of you, I might even shed a few tears. Yet, love them dearly. We recognize they don't belong to you, they're the Lord's. And, you know, some, many times they're re leaving for good reasons. They need to be near family members who are elderly or they, they, they just have come to a place where they're moving to another city or even country. Keep a sweet spirit. I see that in Paul. I don't see anything else as he relates the fact that certain people have gone. They don't belong to you. Don't allow yourself to act in malice when they move on. Many of you have had counsel of, uh, of the scriptures in this regard. Bad counsel. I remember at Bible college, the president of the, the college, the seminary, said, don't get close to people, it'll only hurt you. And I rejected that then, and I reject it now. I respect the man, but he said many, many true things. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Paul didn't said, say to Timothy, now people will leave, don't get close. No, pour yourself in. In fact, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2 is exactly that. Find faithful men, even though all else have gone, find faithful men and pour your life into them, and they'll be able to teach others also. There's actually three generations involved in that. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to the faithful men, and then the faithful men will teach others also. You know, the pastor is not allowed the luxury of being distant with people. He should be around. I've heard of pastors who fly in from wherever they've been elsewhere in the country, and they fly in early on a Sunday preach and then fly out again. That's it. 
No, uh, I don't see that in Paul's life, Timothy's life, or that modeled in the New Testament. Verse 11, Luke alone is with me. We say those words quickly, but they carry a lot of substance. Oh, Luke, faithful Luke. Oh, the value of a true friend. Can't put it into words. Luke was Paul's companion on his missionary journeys. In Colossians 4, verse 14, Paul refers to him as the beloved physician. He tended Paul's wounds, which was often necessary because Paul either had revival or riot wherever he went. And when there was riot, he was stoned with real stones. Luke was a companion to Paul. It's as if God's assignment for the life of Timothy was this. Timothy, your task is to stick around Paul. You'll be a help to him. And as a physician, he was a massive help. But as a friend, he was even more than that. Timothy did that faithfully, even while under great pressure. In fact, let's go to the book of Acts. We've got a little bit of time, as I say. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. I want you to notice something. We taught verse by verse through the book of Acts not that long ago. Some of you were here for that. And we encounter in chapter 16 uh, the fact that Timothy joins with Paul and Silas, and then there's this Macedonian call. Look at verse 6, Acts 16, verse 6. And when they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, that's not the Asia of our day, it's a different, smaller region. And when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Notice the them of verse 7 and the they of verse 8. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Scholars glean from this that Luke joined the party who's the writer of this gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, uh, where we read of it in verse 10. He joined the party at the we point of verse 10. I find that interesting. Verse 11 as well. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and so it goes on. And since the time that Luke had joined with Paul, now he was here in his final moments. Luke, what a blessing. What a blessing he is. Crescens and Titus have gone peacefully. Uh, unlike, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're back to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phrygellus and Hermogenes. He names the individuals. But then he's comforted, verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Paul had wonderful words to say about him. Verse 15, again, speaks of broken relationships. Onesiphorus, 
did what he did in dangerous conditions in Rome. Look what it says in verse 16. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So in dangerous conditions in Rome, he was probably banging on doors in search of Paul. And he searched earnestly and found me. Let's continue back to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. And it is here that we read these remarkable words. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Why are these remarkable words? Well, this is a complete turnaround for Paul. Paul had dismissed Mark, written him off. You ever written someone off? And you find out God never did, but you did. Well, Mark had left Paul on a missionary journey, and basically Paul said, I've got no use for you. Wrote him off. And it was the case, if we go back to Acts 15, and we don't need to turn there, verse 36 through 41, this brought a division between Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas were co-laborers together. They had uh, preached the gospel in numerous cities together. But when Paul saw Mark go, Paul had no use for Mark anymore. Barnabas did. And Barnabas said, I'm going, I still believe in the, the young man. And in a sense, emotionally at least, put his arms around Mark and Paul couldn't handle it. You know the story, don't you? Ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Yeah, he's kind of useful. Wrote a gospel. Let's never write someone off completely. God's grace is powerful to restore and to restore breaches between brothers, breaches between sisters. Praise God also for a Barnabas who never thought that Mark's ministry was over. That's what a true friend is. He doesn't believe that when you fail, it's a permanent status. God restores. Not always, of course, but God sure can restore. God in his grace saves, and God in his grace restores. Look in verse 12. Tychicus, I've sent to Ephesus. This was another co-worker. Paul has assigned him to Ephesus, and no further details are given. But again, Paul doesn't write disparagingly, but I think there's more to it than just the words we see here because notice it says Ephesus. Many scholars believe that Tychicus would be Timothy's replacement when Timothy left Ephesus. He was a pastor there at the church at Ephesus. He left Ephesus and was now going to be coming to Paul. And so Paul sent Tychicus to take his place as the leader there in Ephesus. I think that's fascinating. Verse 13, when you come. Now, of course, he's assuming that Timothy would come. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas. Paul had longed to see Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 4, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, Paul was assuming that Timothy would come. That journey that Timothy would take from Ephesus to where Paul was was very arduous. Again, scholars 
recall this at that time in the ancient world, it would take between four to six months over land and sea for Timothy to arrive where Paul was, mostly over land. And people ask, well, was, was Paul selfish to ask for him to come? My answer would be no, not when you consider their relationship and Paul's desire to impart vital strategy to Timothy. Paul was giving the baton on to Timothy, and with Paul knowing his departure was very soon, wanted to have last, last times with Timothy. And in the initial era of the Christian church, this would help ensure the future health of the church. The more time Timothy could be with Paul, Paul going, it would be of help to Timothy in the new church. What a boost to the soul this would be. Think about this. If all this would happen, there would be on one single day the arrival of Timothy, of Mark, and the Scriptures. I just have to say, why? Because that was God's plan and because Paul made it very, very clear. And then I have to say, wow. That would be amazing. Timothy, Mark, and the Scriptures. Where do I get the Scripture element? Look at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak. The cloak. Well, that would bring physical comfort and protection. Again, scholars believe that his cloak was probably forcefully removed when he was arrested in Troas. So he lost his cloak, but someone picked it up and someone knew where it was. It also means it's cold, and it'll be getting colder. Winter's coming. You read of that in verse 21. Do your best to come before winter. So you can see the obvious comfort of the cloak, but notice the next two things that are mentioned. Also the books, and above all the parchments. The books and the parchments. Scholars believe that what is in view here, knowing that books provided no comfort or protection from the cold, yet were still invaluable to Paul. I need the cloak, bring it. Don't forget it. And also bring the books and the parchment. Paul's emphasis was most certainly the parchments, which was, many believed to be the scriptures. The parchments were made of animal skin, covered with them at least, precious vellum codices. And this is a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. Paul wanted his Bible. Now, think about what we've already said. He knows he's departing very soon, but he wants the books, and he wants... The scriptures. He wants the scriptures and he wants the books. God has spoken to us in his son. And he's also spoken to us by means of his word. 66 books that make up the one book. We should be people of the book. That's what Muslims refer to when they speak of the Jews, the people of the book. How are you doing with your Bible? Have you got a plan to read it? Included in your bulletin is a guilt-free 
method to read through your Bible in a year. You just cross off when you get to a certain chapter. You might be reading through Psalms and think, you know, I'm just going to read Malachi. And when you read it, cross it off. Spurgeon said this, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. I was in a meeting once, and a particular preacher challenged us. I was a fairly young Christian, and he asked this audience, how many of you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And all raised their hands. He said, now how many of you have read it? And he said, all of it. And people's hands kind of came down, and he said, uh, I'm not talking about just some of it, all of it. And people looked at him, you know, we've we haven't read it all. And he said, but you believe the Bible is the word of God. I just asked you that. You believe it's the most important book on planet earth and you haven't read it. Let me ask you this. Have you read any other book? Why would you read any other book if you haven't read the book you believe to be the book, the Bible? And then he said this. Now, There are better methods out there, but if you read three chapters a day and five on a Sunday, you'll, in a year, be reading through the Bible. Now, there are better programs than that, but he was giving us that challenge. Read the book, the Bible. Let me, I've already quoted Spurgeon once, let me try it again. Spurgeon quoted uh, this particular verse in 2 Timothy 4. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. This is what Spurgeon writes, talking of Paul. He's inspired, yet he wants books. He's been preaching for at least 30 years, and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord, and yet he wants books. He had had a wider experience than most men, and yet he wants books. He'd been caught up to the third heaven and had heard things that was unlawful for a man to utter. Yet he wants books. He had written the major part of the New Testament and yet he wants books. The apostle says to Timothy and so he says to every preacher, give attendance to reading, 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. And Spurgeon said this, the man who never reads will never be read. He who never quotes will never be quoted. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. I love Spurgeon. (laughs) Brethren, what is true of ministers is true of all our people. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. End of quote. So Paul, though an inspired writer, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, requested books. Let's make this application as we're in this new year. If that's true of Paul, how much is it true of us? The need to read. The need to read. The benefits of reading. The delight of study. Read books. Read books good books. Let me give you this caution. Not every book is worth reading. Not every book should be read. Pastor Joel Ellis wrote this, life is too short to read everything and most of what has been written is not worth reading anyway. Some time back I 
related in an article, an incident that happened. A longtime Christian once had come to me to confess and confide in me that his spiritual life was in a shambles. It was as good as dead. He didn't look that way. He was part of the praise and worship team, and he was leading. He played guitar. He was very talented. But his Christian life, he said to me, was so lackluster that he'd abandoned all attempts to get alone with God anymore or to pray or read his Bible. He said, I feel like I'm walking alone in a desert with no sight of water. I'm fairly desperate. Everything outwardly didn't look like this. He looked exuberant. He was active in ministry. He, great, he showed great enthusiasm for the things of God, and yet his own confession was, I'm nowhere spiritually. And he was asking, should he be stepping down from the ministry? And I was silently just praying and asking God, what can I say to this man? And a thought popped up in my head. And I asked him, what's the last Christian book you ever read? I could tell this young man, he was in his 20s, was a little surprised, more than a little surprised by my question. He said that he once enjoyed reading, but uh, now didn't read much Christian literature at all. But I pressed him and I said, now tell me, what is the title of the last Christian book that you read? I won't mention it here, that is really not the issue. Could have been a number of different books he mentioned, but I was familiar with the one he did mention, and I asked him, if I ask you to read something, would you do it? He said, well, if you think it will help me, pastor, then yeah, uh, of course. I said, well, I have a book, and I reached behind me to a book on my bookcase in my study there, and I just said this, for the next month or so, just take 10, 15 minutes a day and read this book. He took the book into his hand and I could see from his face that he was really perplexed even further. He looked at it and he had a very puzzled expression. It was not really a book about Christian devotion per se. It wasn't a book about how to climb out of a spiritual rut. It wasn't addressing that. And the more he gazed at the book, the more confused he was. And he then asked, well, Pastor, what has this book got to do with my present struggle? I said, well, it doesn't actually address the issue you have directly, but just trust me, read this 10, 15 minutes a day and, until you get through it. Will you do it? And he says, okay, Pastor, I trust you. Uh, I, I promise I'll read it. We talked a little more, and then he left my study, and I remember just praying that God would restore this young man and his spiritual fire and zeal. That seemed to be that. Less than three weeks later, I remember he uh, came up to me after a service and he said, uh, do you have a minute? I said, sure. What, what, what's up? He said, you know our discussion about my spiritual life. He said, um, things are different. His spiritual life's back on track and his best time of the day now is the time he most looked forward to was his alone time with God and his Bible. I, I said, well, what's happened? He says, I've been reading the book you gave me. It's opened to me treasures I've not seen before. I, I read something and then for the rest of the day, my mind is captivated by it and I just have to think about it and I'm thanking God for the insight and I, I just feel so close to God just now and Actually, I'm a different man. It's not that long ago I was in your study, but 
Pastor, um, can you explain to me what has happened? I said, well, God's been very, very gracious to you to draw you closer to himself. He says, yeah, I know that. But can you tell me what's happened? I said, I, I think so. I then went on to explain that when he told me what his last Christian book was, I said, it's like having a spiritual meal without any vitamins. It had very little content, a lot of fluff. And although popular was the theme of the times in the Christian community, it was merely a pep talk rather than something of substance. I said, can you imagine a 21-year-old coming home from a full day of work and being really excited to sit down and watch Sesame Street? He said, no. I said, well, the book you were reading was like that, spiritually speaking. Uh, like the TV show, it, it's great for kids, but there's something wrong when an adult of 21 or 42 or 87 is excited about watching Sesame Street. Don't get me wrong, I love the Cookie Monster. I, I, I think he's great. I love Big Bird and Bert and Ernie. They're like old friends, right? But there comes a time when we put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. I said, the book I gave you was an introduction to an adult form of Christianity. In reading it, I, know, I knew it would challenge you, both in your heart and your mind, and you, it will show you things you'd never seen before, and it's an easy read and not the arduous thing you thought it might have been. And the, man, the young man said, wow, I can see that now. Thank you so much, Pastor. Would you write down maybe four or five other books? as titles, and I'll read them over the next few months. I said I'd be glad to come back to my study and I'll write them down for you. The actual book is not the issue. It could be a number of books. But we're called upon to read. We're called upon to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of those, the mind is the one less addressed in most of our Christian preaching. We just want to fire people up, make them feel good, send them out the door. But reading gives backbone and substance to the Christian. There's a time to move on from the ABCs to the more weighty and meaty things of God. Why do I say this? Because great books teach us. Good books are our friends. Without good books, guess what? We're left only with our own thoughts. I know you're brilliant. You're smart. I mean, you come to King's Church. You're smart people. But if we're just left to our own thoughts, how brilliant are we going to be? There's value and profit in reading greater minds than our own. Some books have really marked my life. Top of the list, outside of the Bible, would be R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God. If you haven't read it, read it. There are other books I could recommend, but come to me and talk to me. James Allen, in a book called As a Man Thinketh, wrote this, you are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts will take you. Theodore Parker wrote this, the books which will help you the most are those which make you think the most. The hardest way of learning is by easy reading. Let me say that again. The hardest way of learning is by easy reading. But a great book that comes from a great thinker, it's a ship of thought. D. 
deep freighted with truth and beauty. Some of the books I read, it takes a good full minute, maybe a two, to get through some of the paragraphs. But the weightiness, it's amazing. I know some people have a hard time with reading. Let me try and encourage you. There are audio books available. What a blessed generation. Try that in 1748. Try that. You can get the entire Bible in audio form. As a teenager, I decided when I got my first car at age 19 that my car, whatever else I did, I'd study, I'd do my own thing in the home, and I would go to seminary and all of that, but my car would also be something of a university to me. I thought, why should I get in my car and someone else decide what I need to listen to? That's what the radio is, you understand? They tell me things I think think they think they think I should know they tell me I should listen to this I thought you know I want to be in charge of what I can be in charge of and I may not be in charge of a lot at age 19 but I'm in charge of what I listen to and so I calculated that at that time I was driving my car about six hours a week 15 minutes here 20 minutes here it adds up and it added up to about six hours a week what would it be if six hours every week week after week after week year after year after year I was listening to the Word of God or teaching about the Word of God cassette tapes those that know me know I have a lot of them still then CDs God gave us a book. God gave us 66 books. And we should either be reading it or else hearing the word read. I say this because most Christians in history, get this, most Christians in history never had a full Bible in their possession. It was a big thing when a city had a Bible. It was so precious, if you go to the central churches of Europe, some of them still have this in place, the Bible is on a chain. They don't want it moving. They want it to be there when folks showed up on a Sunday. Because for many many of the Christians, it was the only time in their week they'd have the scriptures read. They didn't have their copy of God's word. Not before the printing press. Elite people could. You could pay a year's salary to someone and sit and scribe and transcribe the Bible, but only rich people, dukes and duchesses and kings and queens of the ancient world could afford that. To whom much is given, much is required. I've already said not everything should be read, but there's a great value in books. And ladies and gentlemen, we grow as we stretch. In this new year, may I say to you, come, come, grow with us. As we think about this new year, as we start the program of reading through a Bible, perhaps, in a year, let me say this, don't be on the guilt trip of that. It's great if you can do it. I would really encourage it. But your Christian life is not determined in terms of your standing with God of how much you read the Bible. I think it's sometimes, many times, more profitable to read three verses and think about them than to read 17 chapters and forget what you read in 20 minutes. The blessed man is the one who meditates, thinks about, ponders, 
muses on his word day and night. He's going to be like the tree planted by streams of water. As I think about the cars I've had in life, both in England and here in the USA, I can't think of the tens and tens and hundreds of thousands of hours that have been profitable for me. Maybe that's a challenge for you. Do something about your driving so that you've got access to good teaching, hearing the word of God. Or else, stay as you are. Here's the profound thought for the day. If things don't change, they'll stay the same. Where do you want to be a year from now? Paul, knowing he could be weeks away from being beheaded, eventually was. Peter was hung upside down as he was crucified. They put him one way and he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way as my master. And they turned the great fisherman the other way around and he died upside down, crucified on the cross. Paul was beheaded. Even though there might be weeks to go, he wanted a cloak, but he wanted the books and especially the parchments. May I challenge you that this year, above all years, you'll be a person of the book. That you'll understand what God has said to you about himself. We don't find out what God is from our own thoughts or having an experience, but by his word. Everything else is futile. Everything else is speculation. But God has spoken in his word. And this book, above all books, is valuable and precious. We know the human cost of getting the Bible into the English language, chiefly under men like Wycliffe and Tyndale. Many have been martyred and suffered gruesome deaths. Much blood has been spilled to get the Bible in our hands. But we shouldn't read it simply because on a human level it's precious in that way. We read it because all Scripture is God-breathed. And nothing else is. Not my thoughts, not your thoughts, not the Pope's thoughts, not the Cardinal's thoughts, not the pastor's thoughts. Let God be true and every man a liar. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus, when he was tempted, didn't have to try and find verses of the Bible. Why? Because he knew them. He quoted the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, it is written, it is written. How about you? Take God's word and starting good day would be January 1st. Start reading the Bible. Be a person of the book and you'll know the gospel. You'll be able to share that gospel with others. Do your best. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that you would write its truth on our hearts and in this new year be glorified in our lives. May the word stir us up. May it cheer us up. May it comfort us. We thank you the Holy Spirit has inspired the word so that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and 
for training in righteousness, that wherever task we have in the Christian life, we are fully equipped for every good work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.